0: open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. This is a great Thanksgiving week that we so love, and this text helps us in our preparation. Ashlyn Blocker, here's a few pictures of Ashlyn. When she was a little girl in kindergarten, her parents, her kindergarten teacher, described her as being fearless. Fearless because she suffers, and I say that word paradoxically, she suffers from a disease that fewer than a hundred Americans have, Uh, she feels no pain. When she was in kindergarten, the cafeteria workers would be sure to put an ice cube in her chili since she wouldn't know it was too hot to eat. Um, Sometimes they'd have to watch her that she would not chew through her tongue or put her finger in her mouth uh, and tear the skin off of her finger without really knowing she had done so. It's called SIPA, C-I-P-A. It's a rare genetic disorder. Tara's mother says pain is there for a reason. It lets your body know something's wrong and needs to be fixed. I'd give anything for her to feel pain. It reminds me of a, a book on my shelf by Dr. Paul Brand entitled Pain, The gift nobody wants. Well, the group of men, I presume they're men in our text today, were slowly losing their ability to feel pain. And because of it, Jesus had mercy on them. Verse 11, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The gift of pain is exactly that. It is a gift of God. I've asked the audiences in our building on previous occasions how many of you are here because you experienced life pain and it got you to the Lord. Some of you had that testimony. It was out of pain that you came to Christ. Some of you, I realize, got up this morning aching and hurting. And in spite of the pain in your body, you got here to be a worshiper of God with other believers. Some of you are sitting here in pain. Maybe that's physical pain. Maybe it's a relational pain. Maybe it is a sorrow or other sadness in your life that you can't, you can't quite shake and get away from. And maybe it's that very pain, whatever it is, that is keeping you close to the heart of God because without it you are prone to wander. It's a testimony many have regarding this matter of pain. Without pain, there's a sense in which none of us would be here. Because we have understood the pain we have brought to the heart of God because of our own sin and rebellion. Of the ten that Jesus cleansed, one returned to be thankful. And we delve beneath the surface of Luke's record that he has of this occasion in Jesus' life to attach to it the real spiritual lessons that really, at the end of the day, uh, is the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Number one, we have a deadly problem that only Jesus can fix. When I was a little boy, I wondered if Jesus just liked zoos because why, what does he have to do with leopards? He must like big cats, you know? One southern preacher referred to them as leapers in the way he said the word, so maybe you pictured them jumping around. In biblical times, uh, leprosy, as we understand leprosy, was a dreadful disease. Now, is really a, a generic word, a generic word for all kinds of skin ailments, uh, there would be a, a patch of skin that would turn white, and you'd fear you had this this very highly contagious skin disease. But sometimes it would go away, and so it wasn't what you thought it was. And but if it was, it would be a heinous thing to go through. It was not a fatal fatal disease at all. People didn't die from leprosy, but they would certainly die with it because of the complications that would arise because of it. They were referred to often as the walking dead. They were as good as dead because they were cut off from society. They were cut off from the towns in which they lived. They were cut off from family. They were cut off from relationships. They were unclean. They were heinous. They couldn't, they couldn't go to, to a worship service with other believers. It's a good description of all of us pre-Jesus, Now, some of you can't remember pre-Jesus too much because you were blessed to have God-honoring parents. But some of you can really remember, and all of us can certainly recall, the day we recognized how serious our sin really was. Even Even if you grew up in the church, there had to come a time when we each understood how serious our sin really is and how it affects the heart of God, and although we are born without sin, we have a sin nature. We still still deal with this bent toward sinning and rebelling against the God we say we love. Isaiah the prophet in chapter one said, "All sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evil doers, children given to corruption." They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Now he is speaking to a nation, the nation of Israel, who are sinning against God and seem to have no conscience about it. He wrote these words 2,700 years ago, 700 years before Jesus even made his appearance. But it still still speaks of the rotten, of our own culture today and the rottenness of our own lives without God. We are so drawn towards sin and rebellion against him. And so both individuals and nations are held accountable for sin and immorality. And the prophet is calling a nation to repentance. And God by his spirit is always calling people, individuals to repentance, understanding, rebellion against God. You may, you may feel, a person can feel healthy, A person can feel fine. And this is the tricky part when you have somebody, a close friend or family member who's dying and you care about their soul and you bring it up and they'll say something to you like, well, I feel I'm ready. But feeling ready and being ready are two different things. And so we have to come to this recognition of the seriousness of sin and no MRI, no PET scan, no CAT scan can reveal that only the word of God tells us the truth about ourselves and we have to pay attention to it. Second of all, we must admit our need and cry out to Jesus. Now, somehow, these men had heard of Jesus. Somehow, you did. Maybe it was from a family member or growing up with parents who loved the Lord. But maybe it was, maybe it was uh, somebody else who introduced you to Jesus. Everybody has to hear of him to get to him. <laughs> And that's why to be silent in our faith is an absolute violation of the most critical command Jesus gives us, and that is to go and make disciples of all nations. Shame on us for not being more serious about it. They cried out, have mercy on us. There was no, no small talk. Hey, Jesus, what's the last miracle you did? Hey, Jesus, how long are you going to be around these parts? Hey, where have you been? Tell us about your journey. There was nothing about that. Because they saw their desperation. Have mercy on us. I don't think they even spent time comparing each other. You know, we'll start with him. He's worse off than I am. You know, They, they all knew they were in terrible condition and they, they had no hope. No one was in denial among those ten lepers. And yet we live in a culture and a world that lives in denial. And I'm afraid that same spirit affects the church. There are some times that we have lost our understanding of how serious and bad sin really is. If we understood to what degree it is still so evil and works and wars against our souls and lives, we would flee more readily from it and run to the heart of God and, and, and make sure we pray every day, God, reveal in me everything that is clean, unclean so that it can be purged out of my life. A lot of people will even say, well, I'm better than some church people, which often can be true. But we're all in the same need, all in the same need of Jesus Christ. If you've ever been through a 12-step program because of addiction, you know, the number one step is you have to admit you are powerless. And friends, we are powerless to do anything about this condition of rebelling and sin against God. Number three, God's power is not released until you step out in faith. Now Jesus is on his way to the cross. The text has told us, not our text, but previously has said that he set his face resolutely toward Jerusalem. He know, knew he was on his way to die. And here is the one who's the sustainer of the universe, yet he is so intimate in dealing with us as individuals and personally. Today, there is no one here that can hide from him. There is no one here that, uh, uh, that, that can say, God doesn't really know me or understand me. A- every sin is noted Every need is there before him. He is such an intimate God who sees and knows us and nevertheless keeps making his way toward us that we also may cry out for his his mercy. And he says to them, go show yourself to the priest. Now that's in keeping with Leviticus 13, the law that said if you have a a skin ailment and you fear what it is, but you see that it, it goes away, it disappears on your body, then... You can go to the priest and show that you don't have it, be declared officially clean, and, 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 then, um, and then you can be restored to your community. You know, it's how faith works because the text tells us as they were going, they were healed. It wasn't right immediately when Jesus said the word they were healed. As they went, they were healed. Faith is always like that, friends. It's always like that. That as we obey, as we go, as we do what the Lord has called us to do, we become whole. We become useful. We become, we become cleansed and, and know him. It happened and they were crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Remember, they had the Ark of God. The river, the Bible says, was at flood stage. And they saw it as a great barrier. And it wasn't until the priest carrying the ark of God stepped foot in the water that the waters miraculously parted. So often we want God to do his thing and then, God, you can count on me. But the Bible says... That people walk by faith, trust God, that he's going to make a way. We sing about it, don't we? We sing about it all the time. Now, there were Old Testament personalities that needed more. Moses must have needed a burning bush. We know that Abraham needed angels to appear to remind him of the promise of God and the birth of the promised son. Gideon needed wet fleece in the morning when all the ground around it was dry to prove that he could really do what God was calling him to do. Ezekiel needed needed a vision of dry bones to give him a vision of what God was going to do through the nation and bringing the Messiah into the world and, and resurrection was going to be possible for anybody who would call on the name of the Lord. is a preview of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we should have an understanding about that because they did not have what we have. They didn't have the whole story unfolded yet. They were at a limited time. They saw from a limited time. They needed those miraculous interventions of God to assure them. And what do you have? Today we have in our hands the whole counsel of God. We have the full picture of what God has done. We have the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection, the one that fulfills the prophets. We have everything laid out. And how dare we say, God, prove yourself. Show me that you really love me. Show me that you really care about me. How dare we have that kind of mindset? What more can God do but give to us his very own son to die in our place that he might enjoy us and we may enjoy him forever and ever. What a God. And so Jesus said, because of what you've done, as you go, make disciples. That's his chief command. As you're going and doing your life, make disciples. We haven't even gotten that one commandment down yet. He's saying, as you're going, As you're going, do this in faith and watch what God will do. Somebody said, faith is coming to the edge of all you can see and feel and taking one more step into the darkness, trusting that God will either catch you or teach you how to fly. I probably would change the word darkness to unknown. Darkness to me evokes fear and dismay and being overwhelmed. But we all walk into the unknown by faith. But we have a God who knows the unknown, what's unknown to us, and He's the one that makes us strong for whatever. We walk by faith, not by sight. Number number four, it is good to spend time at the feet of Jesus. Imagine as they're going, and they look at each other, and suddenly, you know, you know what? 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 Can we go back to those pictures? Uh, I missed them, didn't I? Did you show leper pictures? We've got about three of them back there. That's some. That, that's a little bit of it. See, the nerve endings in lepers, are, they're, they're deadened, and so the brain doesn't get the impulse that there's a thorn in the foot, or that there's a splinter, or there's uh, a cut, and so it doesn't start the healing process. That's why the appendages, and these are the kinder pictures of lepers. It's a heinous, heinous disease. And imagine these men as they're walking, uh, where, where someone has lost their ear, their nose, hey. Malachi, you got an ear. Or I've never seen you with a nose before. And they start looking at their own bodies and they just start getting cleansed. Imagine what they're experiencing as they're walking and this happens. And, and, and everything is different. Everything, and these, these lepers really were leapers at this time, you know? 90% of them. And it's not that we don't understand the other nine. Imagine their, their, their anxiousness to get back to their families to be restored to their wives, their children, to be in town among their friends. It's not that we don't understand. It's not that I think Jesus didn't understand, but there was only one. There was only one who realized this is the first thing I must do. I've got to get back to Jesus. And he fell down and he worshiped him, just like Mary did in our text last week, who was at the feet of Jesus learning from him while Martha was all disturbed by the supper preparations. There was another woman who was in the home of Simon, who had once been a leper, cleansed by Jesus? And she, when she was in Jesus, when it was Simon's house, where Jesus was the guest of honor, remember she was at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet with her tears. What a glorious and grand picture. We have this picture in Revelation of 24 elders around the throne of God worshiping and bowing down before him out of thanksgiving and praise. It's, it's the only right thing to do. It is the fitting thing to do to be in the Lord, to be at his place. And that's why even in a future look, you know, I don't understand why churches cancel on Sunday when it's on Christmas. I don't, Christmas when it's on, if I say that right, worships are what's on Sunday. As an inconvenience. I tell you, we're going to worship Christmas Day here, all right? We're going to be together because what, what better place should we be than God's people worshiping him, loving him, valuing this time we have together? It's the fitting thing. Do we understand if people are? We understand. But it just seems like this is where we want to be because he's been so good to us. Number five, feeling thankful is different than giving thanks. Do you realize that? You're gonna hear a lot of people say this, oh, I'm just so thankful for what I have, and yet they have no relationship with the living God. To to, to be thankful, if God's not in the picture, they're just thankful for themselves, I guess, or thankful for, for people or something. But you know, you have to be thankful that thanks has to have an object. I mean, you're hard pressed to go buy a Thanksgiving card that has God's name in it. What's with that? If you go to the bottom, there might be a title above cards says religious. <laughs> and so you'll grab a real corny one or something, you know. Jesus took note of this one. Where are the other nine? How saddened God must be at how seldom our, our hearts are. You know, take all the other blessings away we have. If we, if we, only, if we only have salvation from God, our cup still overflows. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. You don't have to be thankful for all circumstances, but be thankful in it. That thanksgiving and gratitude always stays intact, in other words. You're never without a thankful heart. There's a difference between feeling thankful. And giving thanks. Hebrews 13 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Will you figure that scripture out this week? I'm going to challenge all of us to do that. Me too. It comes to me. Somehow in this week, how are we going to live this? This fruit of lips that confess his name. How if, if you're going shopping for your groceries for to cook, you know, if somebody says, Oh, have a happy Thanksgiving to you, somebody, whatever, find a way to respond that gives God the credit. Don't preach a sermon. Don't get holier than thou. Don't act super religious. Just say, oh, I will have, God's been so good to me. Push your card out. Somehow get his name in there so people know that there is a distinction between feeling thankful and giving thanks. Matthew Henry was a a great commentator and preacher of a previous generation. I think I've told you a story before, but he was mugged one time, and this is what he said, I am thankful that during these years, I have never been robbed before. Also, even though they took my money, they didn't take my life. And although they took all I had, it was not much. Finally, I am grateful that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Now, if you have a pain going on in your life today, can I challenge you also, to write down five things you're thankful for in the midst of the pain. Because he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Let's learn that discipline. Number six, being a Christ follower makes you a foreigner in the world. Jesus pointed out in our text, the one who came back was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He was a Samaritan, hated by the Jews for being half-breeds. Yet he's the one who's the real hero of the story outside of Jesus. Of the ten, he's the hero. Now, there's a lot of different viewpoints and thinking about minorities in our nation. And I'm not making this as a political statement. I'm not, I'm not telling you what I think in a political realm. All I'm saying is Christians ought to have an unusual heart toward minorities because we are the minority. Jesus said... Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and most walk in it. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few walk in it. Friends, Jesus said, We will always be in the minority. We'll always be in the minority. We'll always be misunderstood. We'll always be viewed weirdly. We'll always be misquoted. Misunderstood. People will distance themselves from us because we don't fit the world system. Isn't that all true? Now, therefore, we ought to have an unusual heart toward those who are very different from us, not just racially, nationally, but, but socioeconomically, and by education standards, you know, all kinds of people who feel disenfranchised and marginalized by society, we ought to have a special heart for, because we are the one who is distant, and we've been brought in by the love and the mercy of God. What a God to do that for us. Philippians 3 says, "Our citizenship is in heaven." And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is so perfect, and we are not. This is an imperfect world. But friends, today, please know, we're not waiting for the kingdom of God. We are waiting for the kingdom of God and its perfection. But today, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's what... That's what that's what Paul says in Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's what it is. A day comes when Christ comes and everything is perfect. All this material world is destroyed by fire, the, the Bible teaches, and then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So heaven is not really so much a destination, is as a place of further wholeness when Christ comes back. We're on our way to further perfection even now. So we pray in the Lord's Prayer, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and one day it really will be. There will be an overlapping and a fixing together of the place or wherever it is that God is and where we are here, but the kingdom of heaven is on the move, and we're a part of it right now. 1 Peter 2 says, I urge you as strangers and aliens in this world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. I bet you can name them, can you? You. you can name those sins that are warring against your soul, the things you're tempted to do, to think and do and, 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 and perseverate on. Number seven, let Jesus finish what he started in you. Let him finish what he started in you. Jesus said to this man, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, some old translations say, your faith has saved you. That's not a strong enough word. This word well in the Greek is sozo, often translated salvation. But it really means wholeness. And that's what the greeting in the Jew, we've learned before, of shalom is. It's, it's, it's asking God's blessing and every feature of life to fall upon you. It's God's peace in all aspects of life. Sozo is the same way in wholeness of life. In other words, when Jesus Christ comes to your life, it's not just about cleaning you up and me up. It's about, it's about giving us better marriages, giving us wisdom for parenting, helping us do our vocations better, helping us to be wise, wise stewards of our finances. It's everything about has to do with wholeness. You may come have come here for a lot of reasons today, but I tell you why Jesus showed up. He's the expert at making people whole, not just saving them from their sins, the greatest blessing of all. So today, how can I close with not thinking of that song that we love to sing? I learned it as a little boy. Maybe you learned it. Join with me. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. God in heaven, thank you, thank you, thank you for being our Lord, our Redeemer, our God, our Savior, our, the goal of our lives the one who is our all in all. I pray this week through our love, through our lives, the way we live, the lifestyle we choose, by the fruit of our lips, we will love confessing the name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, though being in a minority, there will nevertheless be this continual growth we see happen in the kingdom of God because you have changed us and never have we been the same. Thank you for that painful day. When we recognized our sin and shame and brought it to you and you cleaned us up. May Jesus be praised forever and ever in his name. And all God's people said.